This is episode number three with Angie Bird. Coming up. I don't in life allow myself to be vulnerable much. And somehow in the theater I can do that. But I know that for a while I would go in and there would be in my heart a resentment for the fact that I was reading for this particular part instead of a really good part. You only have control over doing what you think needs to be done. And if you manage to bring that into the room, you've succeeded, whether you get the job or not. So that's as close to an apology as you're ever going to get from me. Hey there, thank you so much for checking out this podcast. Are you a subscriber yet? If not, click that subscribe button so that you do not miss anything ahead. And if you have an extra moment, go ahead and rate and review the show in iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. That will help others find out about the show. I appreciate all your comments and thank you so much for doing that. Hello and welcome to The Working Actor's Journey. My name is Nathan Agin, and this podcast is in-depth interviews with working actors, people who have been doing this and getting paid for it professionally for 30, 40, 50 plus years. It is about finding out what took them from A to B. How did they get started? How do they actually work on material? What challenged them? What did they face early on in their career? What do they still get challenged by? And what have they learned from a lifetime of acting? That's what the goal and the purpose of this show is. And so I'm glad you are here. Just so you know, there's going to be about 10 episodes for the first season of this podcast. In the acting business and in life, there is so much uncertainty and vulnerability and rejection. Wouldn't it be nice as an actor if you could find a little bit of peace in the process? Back in 2010, I found something that really helped me out with a lot of the anxiety and worry, and that is meditation. I really wish I had known about this when I was pursuing a career in acting in Los Angeles. Now, fast forward to today, I haven't missed a day of meditating in seven years. I find it that useful. And that's also why I created a free online course delivered by email. So you can go to freemeditationcourse.com and sign up right now. It has tips and ideas and advice and scientific evidence because it has been proven it's good for you. You can start with just 30 seconds. I guarantee you will experience a difference. Go to freemeditationcourse.com and start your journey right now. Today on the show is actress Angie Bird, who has played leading ladies in everything from Shakespeare to Shaw, and she does plenty of contemporary works as well. She was born in rural Ohio, and she was part of the repertory theater scene in the 1960s, working at many major theaters, including Seattle Rep, La Jolla Playhouse, American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, the Great Lakes Shakespeare Festival in Cleveland, and the McCarter in Princeton, New Jersey. She's also quite well known to L.A. theater audiences for her work at the Mark Taper Forum, the Geffen Playhouse, the Pasadena Playhouse, and the Antius Theater Company. She has won multiple L.A. Drama Critics Circle Awards for her work on stage, and she was named Best Leading Actress by L.A. Weekly for her performance as Mother Courage with the Antias Company. And that is how I know her. I played her son Swiss Cheese in that production. It was my first with Antias, and she will always be my Mother Courage. Angie also has over 80 credits on IMDb, including appearances on The Mentalist, Medium, Southland, and Monk, and she's been in the films 8mm and Wild. On the show today, we talk about that production of Mother Courage, how Angie prepared for the role, and how I really screwed up on stage with her. We cover her blue-collar roots and the advice her father gave her, what used to sabotage her at auditions and what changed all of that for her, what concerns her about actors, what she's excited about, plus a whole lot more. It was a great conversation. We had a lot of laughs here. Very fun to talk to Angie. So here we go with episode number three. Please enjoy my chat with Angie Bird. 
Mother Courage was one of those things where I played Yvette as a young, the, the four, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at the Carter years ago. And it was a very sort of fraught production. The woman that originally was supposed to play Mother Courage dropped out. I can't remember why. It was something, it was, it was one of those things where she managed to, uh, have a problem that was suspect. You thought she just wanted to get out of it. We had a director who we referred to as the Red Ant. Uh, <laughs> he was he, he was way in over his head. And then to replace this kind of uh, noted singer actress person, he brought in a young girl that he had worked with, and so it was kind of a mess. But I always loved the play. And then uh, at Antius, I, I thought, you know, I don't sing, really. I mean, I I have song in my life, but I'm not a singer. But I thought, screw that. It's the story that I care about with this. So uh, I put together a reading. John Apicella got interested. Bush was about to uh, engage us in a war in Iraq. We thought it was a particularly, you know, appropriate time to be telling this story. And then various people got involved, like Harry came in and, and did the choreographing, which you remember. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, John Apicella came in with the music and got musicians together. And, and everybody was on board with it for reasons beyond their own aggrandizement. So it turned into the kind of uh, heartfelt event that that becomes larger than any given person. So and and the preparation for actually doing her uh you know my life up to that point you know reading up a little on Brecht much of, of the talk about Brecht is a lot of bullshit about the whole alienation thing. Uh, I thought, uh, I, so, uh, but I just thought he's a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you, you know, you mentioned, so how, how many years was it between when you had played Yvette to when you played, uh, or you started the reading uh, of Mother Cards? Oh, it's, Jesus, you're going to ask me about years. I was, <laughs> okay. I was in my late 20s when I played Yvette. And I was in my sixties when I did Mother Kurt. Okay. So what, what I was, what I was curious about is, you know, obviously, it does it, there are a lot of parallels to as you were talking about um, the time in history, our history, you know, with Bush and the war. What was it that stuck with you over those, you know, uh, intervening decades about the play? What was it that that um, spoke to you, or why did you know you wanted to revisit it? You know, I think partly because because I loved the sort of um, the sort of ironic humor that was covering a lot of uh, important stuff being said. I think I like that combination. And the fact that the first one was unrealized, so it was sort of left as one of those things that I thought ought to be, this could be done better. Mm -hmm. So it may be that combination. It's it's funny, you know, we we talk about this production because obviously that was... I, I'm pretty certain, you know, the first, uh, my first uh, uh, time working with you and, and probably possibly even meeting you was, it was through that production. And, you know, I, I look back at that, you know, in, in terms of who was involved, yourself included, that I think there was, it was almost kind of good. I didn't really know all of the players involved that well, because I probably would have been even more intimidated um, because there yeah. was, there was such an enormous amount of talent uh, everywhere you looked, um, yeah, and true. and it was kind of it was kind of nice coming in, just going okay. This is this is Angie and this is Harry and this is the director Andy, and not really knowing you know too much about these people to be intimidated, but also coming in and and having you as Mother Courage. So th- I mean, this is one of the almost kind of central questions I had for you is, you know, Angie, you have, and I think already on this call you've demonstrated y- you can you can be this very kind of tough as nails, uh, very confident, uh, do your own thing person. 
And at the same time, I've seen, you know, very vulnerable sides of you on, on stage. And so I know you have that. And, and I've, and also in person, I've seen you be very kind and very generous. And so I'm just kind of curious, like, um, where, like, have you always had that kind of toughness about you? Is that, is that always been present or where did that come from? Because it, it's a kind of a quality of like, of like, don't, don't cross Angie. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I grew up in a neighborhood that was uh, all boys except Erlene Roberts down the street, and she was like way too girly for me. And this is and this is in uh, the Midwest, right? Right, right. In an odd little, uh, on its way to being a suburb uh, neighborhood with a lot of empty lots and a lot of nearby woods that you could play in and. You know, a lot of bikes on on uh, tar roads that didn't didn't have much traffic. Big yards, you know, front porches. But it was it was mostly boys. And I uh, I had one older brother who uh, was two years older, and uh, and he was kind of a cool guy. He's 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 interesting. He uh, he's a cowboy now okay and and actually wanted to be as a very young person but as an older brother he was one of those guys that uh he didn't need to protect me i guess and if i (laughs) you know whereas i would never have told anything on him he sort of was like another parent with me sure well he took a he took an interest in in making sure you you did the right thing and and were safe and all that kind of thing Yeah. yeah 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 I don't remember him needing to keep me safe. It was a really safe neighborhood. And all of the other, you know, most of my friends were boys and they were all kind of protective of me. So, you know, I'm, I am very curious of like how people, you know, get to where they were. And you, and you said playing Mother Courage, the experience, you know, the preparation was, was your life up to that point. So, so you're growing up uh, in kind of suburban Midwest in Ohio. Uh, and so what did your parents do? Uh, it, it was a very blue collar family. My father, uh, left school in the eighth grade because he punched the teacher and uh, threw him out. And wow. he was a truck driver. He was a truck driver for the Kroger company. Okay. Which yeah. was short haul, short haul truck driver. He was, he was re- really good looking. He, he, when he was young, he had that kind of Frank Sinatra look. He had that that, that sort of droopy eye that's very sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he got fat as he got older, but he was kind of a, a little guy that you didn't mess with. I mean, he he wasn't a fighter particularly, but if he got in a fight, uh, one of you was going to be dead by the end of it. Uh, that was kind of the kind of, and I adored him. I thought he was just. Uh, the cat's meow. I used to be irritated with my mother because she allowed herself to be discounted way more than was healthy. So maybe maybe that explains some of it. Yeah, but uh, now by by just kind of society or your dad specifically or something? oh, she worked. She didn't like working, but you know she worked, mm-hmm. uh, and she worked in an office, and she would come home with stories about women saying catty things about her and stuff like that. And it, it always annoyed me that she allowed herself to be victimized. Mm. And, uh, so maybe that's part of what developed what, you know, the fuck, they don't fuck with Angie. Right. Thing. I was not going to be that woman. Sure. Sure. It's interesting that we're talking about this right at the moment because this whole Me Too discussion at the moment is just, it's making me very sad. Partly because I realized that I participated in the whole uh, glorifying a particularly macho kind of male. Mm -hmm. And that's dangerous. It's, It's hard not to feel, I think, complicit in some degree. Uh, but but it's also kind of it's very kind of culturally reinforced as you were saying like the images were presented 
um, or what we're kind of told is attractive. Absolutely. You know, one of the phrases that has come up for me, remember when uh, John Wayne would call somebody the little lady? Okay. And we all thought that was so charming. And and we thought that was somehow a wonderful thing that he would refer to some woman as a little lady. Sure. And there's something we all want. We all sort of fantasize that there's somebody that will protect us from the ugliness of the world. No one can really do that. So we accept the little lady because we want to think somebody can protect us. And but it's a demeaning, demeaning phrase. But it's e- it's so easy to to gloss over that and just kind of accept. Well, that's you know, he, well he's being charming or he's being nice or he means it right. you know, in a nice way. Right. Um, and, and I'm sure he does. I mean, I, sure. But but you look at it and think about it. If if the thing were reversed and and some woman refers to a guy as a little fella, sure. What does that do? Right. Yeah. It. Um, and especially because of how it's you know being shared online, you know we're seeing, well, for lack of a better word, how simple something could be, but but it can have a, a big impact on on someone. Yes. Um, yeah. You, you know all these different stories. They're they're very different in scope or or um, something that could just be you know casual or, or very um, nonchalant thing that they would do. And, and then of course there are the other there's the other end of the spectrum where there's you know serious right. harassment going on. But of course, people are being—you know—it's—it's it's leaving people with these memories, these uh, uh, these feelings for years. And so, just like you know, today people can get in that kind of victim mindset. Yes, and some of it, some of it seems ridiculous. Well, so so as you—I mean, as you were talking about your mom, so Good Lord, we've gotten a long way. From <laughs> well, well, I mean, but it all—I mean, you know, as you could probably attest as anyone else, like it all—it's all par for the course. Like it's all. Yeah. You know, it all goes it's, into, you know, what you do. Yes. So was it a creative family or artistic or, you know, where did that kind of uh, beginning for? There was, no, it wasn't artistic at all. But my dad was like uh, mechanically uh, just great. I mean, he used to like take spare parts and make tractors and 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 trailers and stuff. And then he'd mow the neighbor, he'd plow the neighbor's garden and uh, Stuff like that. I mean, he was a very energetic guy. He hunted and fished and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. He'd do, you know, fish fries for the neighborhood. Uh, My mother was kind of shy, but there was no creativity there. No, I I, I went off to college, and and, and I I had none of this in high school either. Uh, But I went off to college. I go to the University of Toledo. I join a sorority. My big sister is involved in the theater, and she has me go over to audition. I go over to audition. I get this part, which is the mother of this uh, girl in in a Kaufman and Hart play, the name of which I never remember, where they're all going off to Hollywood, and the little girl is uh, an enfant terrible, and I, as her mother, am the straight woman, but I know when this last comes that I have helped build it. And I tell you, it was like, uh, I, I've never been a drug addict, but whatever that first high is, that's mm-hmm. what it was like for me. Well, what was it like, you know, going to the audition? I mean, was it just kind of like as, as a lark or as uh, just for oh, fun? Oh, that was just a lark. Yeah, that was just a lark. But once I got that part, then I started getting more parts. And then the next thing you know, I'm doing a lot of the leads in the plays. And I'm the president of the uh, drama thing. And uh, I go to my father, who, uh, first of all, to send me to college was a big deal in that milieu, you know, for a girl. Of course. So I I, I go to him and I say, uh, I, I'm... Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to, I went in, of course, having to be, I was going to be a teacher. That's what you do if you're from a blue collar family or a nurse or a teacher at that age. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to him and I said, I'm going to switch my, ma- I, I want to switch my major to uh, the theater. He said, the, the education is yours. What you do with it is up to you, which I, I got to say was 
such an enlightened thing for a guy like that to say. I have always remembered it. So that's what happened. And then, uh, and then the head of the drama department at the University of Toledo helped me get a scholarship to go and get a master's in Michigan. And I, I guess I still thought I was probably going to teach in the theater, but. I couldn't stand any of the people that were headed in that direction. Well, <laughs> so I went to the Erie Playhouse. I met my husband, and that's yeah. Anyway. Oh, all, right, all right. Well, if I was only doing a five-minute interview, that'd be great. But um, I want to I want to <laughs> unpack a few things. You have a, you have a great knack of uh, jumping over uh, entire chunks of your life. <laughs> but um, okay, so yeah, do you have any uh, in you know idea as to you know why? you took to theater as, as well as you did in college? I mean, you know, if it was something you hadn't really done up to that point, was it, had you always been, do you, do you think looking for an outlet or, uh, you know, that you felt creative, but, or, or was missing something? Not as far as I knew. I just, I started doing it and, uh, and I guess there are a number of kinds kinds of actors as far as I'm concerned. And, and mostly people who stay with the theater really enjoy the time spent in a world that is not the real world. In other words, there is the whole creativity of uh, developing a role and the excitement of figuring out how to do it and then that first affirmation you get from an audience that says, oh, they like what you figured out. But then if you like repeating it and repeating it and repeating it, as you must the theater, there's some part of you that likes entering into that other world and the total focus it takes to do it well. And that's different. That's a different territory. And, and I know a lot of very successful actors who really don't like that part. And so they generally don't stay with the theater. Or, or, or are afraid of that. Right, right. Now, was there other things that you were doing, you know, as, as a child or into high school that you had that same kind of focus with or, or drive toward? There, there was never anything else that made me focus in the way that did. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, I did some, I, like I was the art director for the newspaper, but, you know, that was like cutting and pasting shit and making ads look cute and all that kind of stuff. And and I have since, at one period in my life when the acting wasn't going well, started painting, and, and it became an obsession in the way that acting is for me because of the the kind of focus that it requires that makes the world disappear for that period of time. Mm. Now, you know, I have a lot of different interests and I do enjoy theater, but I don't uh, like, uh, you know, I can say I don't have the same kind of obsession um, that others do or, or that same kind of need or drive. And, yeah. and, and it's, it's, you know, one is not better than the other. It's just what your well, yeah. yeah, and what kind of drives you? What kind of lights lights you up? I mean, well, you had made a comment when we were talking last week about um, it was Larry Pressman, right? He was doing some regional theater, and and they were talk someone there. I guess they they looked at it more as a job. Some of the other actors he was uh, working with, right? And that it was right. it was just kind of more of a job to them, but to him. It, it was different. And, and how was it they phrased it that you were saying? Uh, well, they, they said to him, uh, for him, it was a religion. Is that something that you, like, you you identify with that kind of... Yeah, I think so. I, it sounds pretentious, so I hate I wouldn't <laughs> say it uh, 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 up front. But, yeah, it is kind of that to me. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, it's just something that is... Uh, you, you know, something occurred to me a, a second ago that, mm -hmm. that we sort of skipped by. Okay. A and you said something about the need to do it. And mm -hmm. I and I realized one of the things for me I 
I don't in life allow myself to be vulnerable much. Mm. And somehow in the theater, I can do that. And maybe vulnerable is not the right word. Uh, I can, uh, uh, but it's easier for me to cry in a role than it is in life. Mm. Whatever that means. Yeah, well, do you think that's a a product of the, the time you grew up you know, like as a, as a kid, because a lot of these things are formed when we're when we're when we're children. I, I would guess yes. It, it was it was it was a whole it was a whole culture where being tough was prized. Right. Cause, I mean, because this is uh, like the 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 forties in the Midwest. Yes, like w- when you were like a young kid. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, we're not that far removed from from the de- from the depression. So there's right. It's a tougher place, uh, you know. I think day to day for uh, a lot of families, there's not there's not room for a lot of emotion emotion or or no. feelings. I guess you're right. talking about that. Yeah, it, it's funny because I, I read Hillbilly Elegy. Have you read that? I haven't. No. It's it's fascinating. Uh, and there were a lot of things I didn't identify with, but I did identify with that culture glorifying toughness and essentially what we think of as masculine virtues mm-hmm. uh, more than feminine. To be tender, to be nurturing, those were not honored nearly as much as being tough. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, Ann Arbor has a history of being a very politically aware or, or kind of political epicenter to some degree. Um, and, and this was in the 60s that you were there? 50s. Wouldn't that be late 50s? Okay. So is, I mean, was it, was it, was it a very politically charged place at that time or was that? No, at least not for me. Okay. Uh, it's funny. I, um. I was never very politically involved. I was busy when everybody was marching and all that. I was busy working in the theater and raising a child. Right. I just didn't. It's really only the last 10 years or so, maybe 15, that I have become really politically involved. What, um, what changed for you in the last 10 or 15 years? Uh I don't know. Maybe I just had the time to care. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, Are there particular issues that you find are are bubbling up more to the surface for you than than others in terms of like political involvement? Uh, The the Iraq war was really disturbing, Mm -hmm. really disturbing to me. Uh, I I guess because I, I, I became aware of what was wrong with the Vietnam War, and 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 I and I, I'm amazed that I was so clueless about the Korean mess, uh, because that was you know I mean I had a, a boyfriend who was involved in that mess and and got partially hit by a flamethrower and was a mess. I guess it was it's been the wars. Okay, so when you were at. Um... Ann Arbor, you said you, you didn't want to go down the academic teaching route. Um, what was it that, that turned you off about, about that path? The timidity of the people that, that were going to do that, the lack of adventure. You know, I, I, I wanted something more adventurous, I mm-hmm. guess. What playhouse was it you joined after you got your master's? Well, the, I'm trying to think. I, I guess I, I worked actually with Johnny Lithgow's dad. In uh, Shakespeare Festival first, that was sort of in between, I think, in, in at Toledo. It was like the end of the Antioch Shakespeare Festival, which was a really big deal. Uh, but uh, they did a last couple seasons at the in Toledo. So I did that. Then uh, I went to the Erie Playhouse, which was a kind of unique uh, winter stock if you will, company. Mm-hmm. And that's where I met my husband. Did you find it easy to, to get jobs after um, University of Michigan? Uh, seemed like it. I mean, <laughs> I just went from one to another. Arthur was running the place in uh, Toledo. And, uh, and then the Erie Playhouse was totally separate. But then after the Erie Playhouse, 
Arthur was uh, working another theater, and he hired both my husband and I. And then we became uh, part of a number of actors who did regional theater all over the place. And you went, you know, it was kind of thriving at the time, and uh, one job led to another. It was enough to support yourselves and, and, and develop a living off of. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. I, I'm. I, I know that at one point we were sort of surprised to discover that we, uh, we were, we were poverty stricken by somebody at standard, but we didn't think we were, and we were having a hell of a good time. You did all kinds of playwrights, all kinds of plays. Uh, we were doing a lot of classics because it was that's what regional theater was up to. Okay. Um. So the first job was in Akron, Ohio, but but they just it was it was a world where people got to know you and you got jobs and and they often would like to hire a couple, then they only had to pay for housing <laughs> once, right? And they also liked a certain stability, so there were. You know, that was at least one romance that wasn't going to break up in the middle of a production and uh, screw everybody up. Right. So we worked together quite a bit, and then we also worked apart and visited one another, and and that went on until um, it was so much fun. And, of course, we at that time, I thought that uh, regional theater was going to be uh, the renaissance of theater uh, and that it was the answer to, uh, it was the future. Of course, what became, you know, because when we first started out, like at the McCarter, at the Great Lake Shakespeare Festival, there was a place called the Front Street Theater, a bunch of places, they would hire you for a season and at the beginning of the season, you would know what you were playing, and you would say, uh, you know, say you're doing five, and, and a lot of it was really in rep, true rep, where you had four sure. shows up at the same time. And chances are you would have, like, two really good roles and then a bunch of stuff that was support roles. But you'd know at the beginning of the season what that was. And then, and we did that for, like, seven years together had a great time. But toward the end of it, what started to happen was uh, the season would be announced and uh, they'd be bringing in somebody from California to do Macbeth or some kind of shit like that. So, uh, fine. And, and my daughter was born too, which sort of, you know, made me want to quit for a while. I thought I was going to work. I didn't. But it became apparent that the regional theater was changing and that they were succumbing to the name uh, recognition thing. So I, I used to make the joke that they had decided they needed half-assed TV actors to do the good parts, so we might as well go be half-assed TV actors. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't the direct response to, or the de- desire to move to L.A., but... What I'm curious about before that is, did you feel like, you know, all those years in regional theater, did you feel like you learned more than when you were training in college and grad school? Or was it or do you feel like the technique that you have was was developed in those those educational years and it was just kind of refined as you started working? Well, there were places that people were going like Carnegie and, and, and maybe Yale or whatever, where they were actually acting training. Mm-hmm. At the University of Michigan, that was not the case because there you didn't even get actually a uh, a degree in theater because that was not academically acceptable. You had a degree in speech. Oh. So any kind of acting training didn't really happen. So whatever I ever learned about how to act was strictly uh, from doing it and watching other people do it. So was there ever any sense of, um, not not that you weren't as good, but like, were you ever concerned about your, you know, quote unquote, lack of training compared to the other actors? Or did you, did you just know, no, I'm good and, you know, I'll I'll figure it out? 
by the time I realized that maybe I didn't have training that other people did, uh, it was, uh, I had gone past the moment when that would have been useful to me. Does that make any sense? (laughs) (laughs) There are a couple things that I remember that I'll just throw in here. Yeah. I remember when I, I mean, I used to joke that when we, when we could have studied, we didn't, we weren't working and didn't have any money. And when we were working, there was no time to study. But when I was living in New York, I remember I knew a lot of people who like were part of the actor studio or they were taking acting classes and whatnot, but they were all too hoity-toity to work in the regional theater. And they had sort of contempt for the kind of acting we were doing there, which I thought was just, ridiculous but there it was how would you define the that the kind of acting i mean what what was the perception well first of all we were doing a lot of classics and it meant that we were it was fashionable at that time to do what was called a mid-atlantic accent Mm -hmm. which meant if you were doing a shaw play you didn't necessarily do a british accent you did this kind of uh halfway you know sort of proper uh, speech but it wasn't british so it was it was just this perception of of you know that you guys were doing something kind of uh pretentious or 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 just yeah i'm i'm sure that 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 people who were you know busy uh, scratching their own navels uh found superficial well, I, I remember, and this might have been around the same time, uh, hearing an interview with uh, Christopher Plummer. He said, um, you know, I guess it was probably in the 50s, or maybe even the 60s, too. He said that, you know, there were these really two schools of acting going on. There was the classical training, of which he was a part. And then he would talk about the uh, the, the Italian street actors, you know, and, and, you know, the method and all this kind of stuff. And you had these you know, two clashing um, ideas, you know, coming out at the same time. And so, I mean, I imagine it was probably more uh, the classical stuff that you guys were doing in the regional. Yes. That's probably what you were seeing. It's like that, the the emergence of the the method and all these other things yes. in New York. And, and I tell you the truth, I, I think I probably would have remained a slightly superficial actor if I hadn't had to quit because of my, I quit when my daughter was born. I had a job when she was like six months old. I went to my first day and I just, I just fell apart and couldn't, couldn't bear the thought of leaving her. It just seemed stupid and awful. So I quit that job. And I didn't work for about four years. And when I started back again, I started back and I had to start learning all over again. And it was a big turning point for me because I I, somehow, because I'd been not doing it for so long, I didn't have to come in and prove that I knew how to do it. I could start over again. And I think I became a much better actor as a result of that. We were still in New York. My daughter was about four or five, and I thought, oh, I can start doing things. And I started doing some regional. And so, so many people, you know, talk so much about relationships as an actor. And, and you know, you and your husband are an example of clearly two actors who, who made it work uh, for so long. And, and I mean, did you, <laughs> was anyone ever uh, telling you, like, oh, I don't know if you should get, you know, marry an actor or, or that kind of thing or... People always said that, but I, I never understood how you could marry anybody who wasn't an actor because I don't I don't know that anyone else understands the obsession. Anyway, particularly as a woman. Okay, David, your husband had that same kind of uh, uh, obsession about it or or, or feeling yes. about it. Yes, yes, and and you. And there would be times when I'd think, oh, no, I can't go and blah, blah, blah. And he would say, no, you have to do this. So so what was the desire or, or drive to, to move out to California then and, and you know, shift your careers uh, to that? <laughs> uh, okay. I like that response already. <laughs> uh, my husband was an alcoholic. And when we sort of stopped doing regional theater and he was working in New York, he was doing a lot of commercials, uh, which was what kept us going for a while. And 
his soul was sort of shriveling up. I remember uh, people, you'd, be, you'd meet somebody and they'd ask him what he did and he'd say, I'm a salesman. And and his alcoholism was getting really bad. I mean, to the point where uh, if we'd had more money, we'd have probably divorced. Hmm. Uh, so the move to California, I, I got a touring job and came to California, and I went in to talk to our agent out here. It was, uh, the agency was Brett Adams, and out here, Arthur Turetsky was running the California office. So I went in to talk to him, and I'm like 30, I must be about 35 now. And I talked to Arthur, and he said, oh, yeah, he said, uh, you, you should come out here. David would work all the time, and you can sit by the pool. <laughs> and I thought, fuck you, I'm never going to have a pool. <laughs> uh, but anyway, part of me was so fed up with what was happening to David with his drinking thing is that I thought, Oh good. We'll come to California and he can become successful enough that I can leave him. <laughs> <laughs> so we came to California and, uh, he got sober. <laughs> so we actually had a fairly good marriage after that. Wow! It, it not, he didn't immediately become right. Sober, of course, yeah. Eventually, he did, and indeed, he did work a lot, and I worked, but it was like a lot of crap work, you know. You know, television crap work. Well, I mean, yeah. After having doing classical regional theater for for seven years or so, I mean, it it, it can be hard to live up to uh, that that kind of artistic reward and, and fulfillment. Yes. But now, you know, in researching, you know, both both your career and, and, and David's, at least from a TV and film perspective, you worked on something almost every year since, uh, oh, yeah. you know, I, you yeah. started and, and sometimes, you know, many projects in a year. And what do you attribute that to? Because, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, there are more and more actors arriving in L.A. every day. But what's enabled you? To, do you feel uh, that you have this um, longevity with your career? Uh, luck and uh, a, a willingness to eat shit when it's necessary. <laughs> I mean, some of them have just been, you, you know, like I, I remember going through a certain period when uh, every role, what, you had to cry because you were the reason it was going to be okay for them to kill people for the next hour. <laughs> I mean, did you look at, you know, this part of your career as funding your life and and, and yeah. you raise a child and, and helping you do theater uh, on the side yeah. or okay so yeah, it was it was just exactly. it was all kind of a means to an end pretty, pretty much yeah occasionally I, I i mean i got a few things that were really fun to do sure uh, back in the day they used to make after school specials right which were these made for tv little short thing and and they didn't need stars for those so i did a number of those that were really fun you know, where there was a, a role decent enough that you could do something with it. Uh, and I had a couple recurring things that were fun, uh, but not many. Uh, like I said, I mean, I'm coming to it at an age when uh, most women's careers are drying up anyway. So right. realistically, I couldn't expect much more. Yeah, I'm curious if, uh, you know, I wonder if there's almost kind of a, like a leg up you have you know, in addition to your skills, but my perception of you with auditions is that nothing ever terrifies you. But I'm curious, how do you handle auditions? Because I know that is such a cause of concern for a lot of actors. Uh, well, now it's really just fun for me. I got to tell you the truth. I've got nothing to lose. So uh, if the material has anything to offer, it's just fun. It's, you know, it's a day to get a chance to show somebody that uh, I know how to deal with a story. So so they, they really are fun for me now. But that was not always the case. I, I learned some things from Milton Caselis because he would do these exercises where you would uh, pretend an audition. And, uh, and he, he turned to the entire class one day and he said, uh, half the time when you go in for a job, you don't really want that job. 
And most people said, oh, whoa, whoa. But I realized the truth of that because half the time uh, we were all going in to read for this part we didn't think was much, and we really wanted to play some other part. So often people would be going in to prove that they really were too good to play the part that they were auditioning for. Mm. But I know that for a while I would go in and, and I would, there would be in my heart a resentment for the fact that I was reading for this particular part instead of a really good part, right? Right, yeah. And I, and I always thought, oh, well, I can hide that. This, you know, they don't know that. And one day I finally realized, no, people intuitively feel that. You can't cover that. However clever you think you are, unless you're a sociopath, you can't cover that. People sense it, and it arrives in the room. So if you don't go in with a good heart, people know you don't. Mm. That was kind of a learning curve for me. And my big problem a lot of the times was going in with resentment. Because of the work you had done and because of what you felt you knew you could do. Because who, who, because who I felt I was as opposed to who they felt as I saw it. I right, was. right. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm sure it didn't serve me well for a long time. Well, and, oh, another thing that changed my auditioning, like I said, Milton used to do these uh, uh, mock uh, auditions, and he would give the, uh, the person the sides the night before they were going to do it in class, and some people in the class would play producers and directors and whatnot conducting the audition. And I remember I was uh, assigned to be one of the producers, and this actor came in and was busy trying to be charming and and seduce the room. And I remember sitting there as the producer and thinking, oh, fuck, don't waste my time. Just show me that you can do this job. And that, again, changed the way I walked into the room at an audition. Yeah, I think um, so many times it's it's easy to kind of overthink what you need to do in an audition. Um, and and there's, there is that kind of very simple level of just, I just need to know that you can do the work. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and of course, whatever, you know, you bring, if you have a, a particular take on it, you know, uh, but, but it, yeah, but yeah, it's just like, you know, let's, let's cut the song and dance. Just show me that you can do this. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and if it, if it fits with their vision, then that's great. If it doesn't, then as you were saying, it's a, you know, now you're kind of at this yeah. place where you, you, you just, you have no, con- you have no control over so many things. You only have control over doing what you think needs to be done. And if you manage to bring that into the room, you've succeeded, whether you get the job or not. Hmm. I remember seeing you as Linda Lohman in um, a death of a salesman. And, you know, it was a very different part than uh, Mother Courage. And yet at the same time, I remember seeing it and there was that kind of Angie strength in the part. And and I didn't I, I didn't remember that from, you know, from reading the play or, or, you know, other versions I had seen. Did you worry about how to play it or did you just kind of, you know? No, I, I had seen it enough. And seen it done in way, and and I thought I knew what should be done with mm. that before I ever went into it. And the other thing that that was for me was a tribute to my dad. Oh, really? Yeah. Just as like a Willie as a as a working man, like a working class guy, like yeah. Your dad. Yeah. As as a guy who bought into some an ethic that said uh, working hard will get you somewhere and and not not recognizing that the system is rigged against you (laughs) Mm. and and what that does to men in in this era and probably in this country that 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 it's easier to to uh, blame yourself 
than to accept the fact that the system is what it is and you have an uphill climb and that the people that succeed aren't necessarily the people that are the best at what they do. Sure. Have you made a point of going after parts that spoke to you or or did that just kind of come along? Oh, and, sure. Yeah. No, no. I Yes, now that I don't have to make money at it. Uh, yeah, I don't do them unless it's something that speaks to me. But that's a, a tremendous luxury sure. offered to me by my husband's hard work and and our years of of behaving like people who needed to pinch a penny. Right, right. And it it seems like, you know, that that kind of regional theater life doesn't uh exist anymore. No, it doesn't. Uh, and, and it, there are, I think there are a few people who do it, mm-hmm. but, uh, but first of all, they don't hire people for an entire season very often anymore. Right. They hire people for a show, two shows, but, but most of the comfortable way I live comes from TV. It doesn't come from the theater. Right. Right. And it was going out for whatever was coming up and doing the, the big parts, the small parts, whatever was it just kind of like come you know doing whatever you could at that time like certainly starting out uh, in California yeah yeah it was pretty much uh and and David was a great type so he 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 did commercials he did uh TV he he had a couple of good uh he was a regular on a couple of shows and he had a couple of uh recurrings that went on and, and did well and uh uh, and, uh, and he did commercials too. Uh, he, he was a, a really good type and he worked, uh, consistently enough. Yeah. He still buys lunch. He builds, still buys lunch for us, uh, <laughs> <laughs> quite often. Well, and, 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 you know, part of that is, is certainly, uh, luck just having the right kind of look. Um, yes. but, but, yes. but no, but then knowing, how to use that, you know, understanding what your type is and, and how people perceive your look and, and, and all that. Well, he, he also had a certain uh, silly bravery. I, I remember that there were commercial casting people who, who for whom he was a legend. I mean, because of the kind of bravery he had in auditions. Mm. He he had a wonderful panache, my husband. So uh, do you, now bravery in terms of like taking risks or just. Uh, yeah. Uh, OK. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and he had a great sense of humor uh, in the doing of it. So now now that brings up an interesting question. Do you think if if David were the actor that came in when you were playing the producer, you'd be like, all right, cut, the, cut, cut, the, cut the fun and games. Let's just get to the work. I mean, what? No, what do you... no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. No, he would have been showing you uh, how it ought to go. No, no, he he would not have thought, "Oh, I'll come and go in and show them what a charming person right. I am." He would have gone in to say, "No, this is a way you haven't thought of doing it, and I'll show you how it goes." I see. Okay, so there's just a real uh, confidence in terms of the work he he could do and and the story he yes. could tell. Yes. Well, I mean, I know you still, you know, you stay busy, you know, these days with, with work and a lot of different things, but what are you, what, what's exciting to you now? What's exciting to you these days? Uh, new plays. Oh, really? Well, any particular yeah. themes or, or uh, plays that you know, pop up? Uh, I, it, it changes. There was a while when my, my focus was on, somebody once asked me what I, what I wanted to play, and I said, I want to play that woman that you would pass in the street and ignore and that needs needs to be paid attention to. But that's not true anymore. Now, I'm not sure what my focus is now. I, I Now I'm just so concerned that the art of working on the stage in general is being lost because so few people can do it that I'm just sort of I don't know. I'm worried about that. Do you mean in terms of uh, 
the number of uh, younger people getting involved in in the theater, like to, directly as a as kind of well, a career yeah, path? are having are having a chance to get involved. I mean, I mean, there was a time when when you could. Uh, well, first of all, there was a time when a middle class actor could make a living, right? And that mostly doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I, I don't know any young actors who don't have to do something else. Sure. To support themselves, to speak of. I mean, there are obviously a few, but there's always, you know, somebody got the brass ring or whatever. But uh, it's uh, it, it's worrisome. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm, I'm. I'm a little drifty at the moment. I, you know, like I, uh, I was delighted with an an audition I had a little while ago, just because I was going to get to dress nicely for a change. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, all right. So I have a, a a few remaining questions. They're more kind of like uh, uh, rapid fire questions, but the the answers don't have to be rapid fire. I don't. I don't know if we talked about this too much. So, but what is um. What's one failure that you that has you know happened in your life or or maybe a parent failure that really set you up later for success or or if you have like a favorite failure uh i I don't know if it's a favorite, but it sure was a failure um, One of my early jobs was at the um, Connecticut Shakespeare Festival in Stratford, Connecticut, and I was an apprentice. And the second year, we were part of a whole program. It was great. There was a training program all winter, and then we went into the season. Uh, but the second year, uh, one of the artistic directors uh, cast me as Ophelia, which was a, a really big deal because they didn't mm-hmm. cast apprentices in major roles. And he had this, he had a whole concept that was really kind of wonderful. And his idea of Ophelia was that she was, she was not an innocent. She was a savvy person of the court and understood the politics and whatnot. And so, so it was fun and I was having a great time. And then gradually everything about the production fell apart. The Hamlet uh, left and they replaced him. The Gertrude mm-hmm. left and they replaced her. Uh, the Laertes became a Hamlet. And, and then the director, too, uh, left and the other artistic director took over the direction of his play. So I was in way over my head. And, uh, I have no idea what the performance was really like, uh, but I do know that I was in over my head in a very public way. And I do think it affected things for me for quite a while. What did I learn from that? (laughs) Humility? (laughs) I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure I learned anything from it. But when you said failure, that's the thing that I was reminded of. Do you feel like it impacted your next job in terms of either your mindset or just how to uh, kind of negotiate the the personal dynamics of a cast or anything like that? Uh, It's one of those things where it's hard to know. It was only like years later that I realized that that had an impact on how I was perceived. Well, yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say the kind of the, there is also that lesson of um, you can have a, a very public failure and you don't die, you know, things, things go on. You, you have other successes ahead, but uh, it, I'm sure it felt uh, enormous at the time. I, I didn't realize what a big failure it was until much later. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that was probably better. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was it, it wasn't good. You know, so t- I'll tell you the other story. I was debating whether to, to share it, but I, I will because I think I think it personifies you at least in my mind to some degree. Um, we were doing Mother Courage, and you know, you it's it's a it's a wonderful part. Uh, it, you know, the role of Mother Courage, uh, but you know, she's she's no slouch, and um, you know, I was playing one of the sons, 
And on one of the performances, um, I think I, I don't know if I had the idea to do this or, or whatever, but I just kind of did something a little bit more dramatically or melodramatically than I had. And the, and this was during a performance and, and the look you gave me, I, I had this moment of, I think Angie is very upset with me, not mother courage. I think Angie is very upset. And I, I came off stage and maybe during the, the intermission or whatever, you, you confirmed, uh, in, in, a, you know, nice, but very stern way that, uh, I had really kind of killed the moment. And, um, <laughs> and I remember talking to, to Adam in, in the show and I was like, maybe I should just quit. I don't, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I, you know, clearly. And he's like, relax, you know, you know, Angie's just caught up in what's going on. Don't worry about it. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty certain that, uh, you did come back and, and, uh, you know, let me know it wasn't going to be the end of the world, but, um, but no, I mean, to this day, it's, it's funny because, uh, I, I have to admit, like, there's still, there's still a little intimidation being around Angie, being around you. Um, you know, that you, you, you don't want to upset her. But, and, and the funny thing is, I know you, and you've demonstrated this on this call, you know, you can be such a warm, sweet, kind person. Um, but it's just so funny, like, how, even for me as an actor, you know, working with you, you know the the lines can get, can get blurred of yeah, what's Angie yeah. and what's Mother Courage. Oh well, they are they are the same when I'm doing it, aren't they? I, yes. I, I yeah. must say this about and 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 I I I remember I I remember well your response and <laughs> it, it, it's something I I struggle with I I um. I am often not as compassionate as one ought to be, uh, and and I guess I guess I I am uh, a little leery of how careful people are with young actors. Sometimes I think they're tougher than we think, mm. and sometimes I don't I don't honor a person's fragility in the way that I should. Or my own, uh, right? And and it's it, it, it is a bit of a failing on my part, but uh, I try to change it every now and then, and I forget and revert to my baseline. <laughs> so uh, so that's as close to an apology as you're ever going to get from me. <laughs> no, no, no. I and well, I mean that, and that's the funny thing is, like, of course the 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 quote unquote hurtful moments stay with us much more than like the apologies yeah and because i'm i'm 99% certain you did come back later and 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 you know i wasn't crying or anything like that but and it didn't emotionally scar me as as deeply as something could but you know it certainly stuck in my memory because here i am working with you know so many great actors and uh you know you have that moment you're like oh yeah okay i really i really sucked up the room there okay yeah i'm i'm very clear on that one um, but, uh, but, but, you know, it makes for uh, a good story once you get some dis- distance from it. Um, or if you have the actor sitting next to you going, don't worry about this, relax, it'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's a world of, um, I mean, I think actors are a world of, of very fragile people, uh, to some degree. And, uh, and, it, and it's really interesting that, um, you've, you've, you've had this career, you know, growing up, as we talked about, in, in a time when fragility was not really spoken about, um, and and yet that has come through. I think uh, through a lot of your your work that you you can, as you said, you can you can cry on stage, you can reveal this side of you on stage. So to this day, no, I, I don't hold any um, I don't hold any grudges. It's 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 more kind of a funny story of like, yeah, let me tell you about that time. Angie Angie told me off, uh, you know, backstage. It was it was wonderful. <laughs> I think it's a I think it's a rite of passage for people who have worked with you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, I, I mean, this is this has been really great, Angie. I, I really appreciate your time. I, I really enjoyed the talk. Well, good because I, I have to, and uh, and and the fact that you care enough to do this kind of thing is really kind of fabulous. So, thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. As as you were talking about, you know, feeling lucky the position you are in uh, as an actor and, and what your career has afforded you, even though, you know, my name is not on any marquee, 
I feel so lucky to have worked and to have known the actors that uh, I have. And, uh, you know, there's there's this kind of along the same lines that you were talking about of, of the future of theater. Like, you know, I know that there are so many wonderful actors and, and specifically, you know, stage and, and theater actors that uh, have so much to share, you know, just from my own experience. And so... You know, if I can play a little part in getting that out there, I'm I'm really happy to share. You know, the the people that have impacted me, uh, and and you know, kind of pay that forward. So yeah, no, it's I mean, yeah. it's totally my yeah. pleasure, and um, it's it's also just a great excuse to to talk to people uh, that that I really care about and uh, that I think are wonderful. So my pleasure. Well, cool. Take care, darling. It's Nathan here one more time. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything. And if you can take a minute to rate and review this in iTunes or wherever you find podcasts, that will help others find out about the show. I appreciate all comments and thank you very much for doing that. Be sure to visit workingactorsjourney.com slash podcast for the show notes and any links from today's episode. You can also follow the show at WA Journey on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to connect and let us know what did you enjoy from the show. Don't forget to check out freemeditationcourse.com. Sign up right now to start making your life easier, calmer, and more enjoyable. Thank you again to today's guest. I really appreciate and value all the people that contribute their time to making this show possible. I'm Nathan Agan, and thanks for listening.